Hello and welcome to Creative Hood. Today we are joined by someone with a colorful background and excited to jump in. Today we have Anthony. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. I've always wanted to say that. Bucket list. Bucket list check. So, Anthony, what do you do? Oh, well, now, mm-hmm. now I am the care pastor at a church in Hoboken, New Jersey, but uh, didn't always start out that way. Yeah. So a lot of stuff brought me to where I am here today. Yeah, where'd you start? What'd you study in school? Well, as every pastor does, <laughs> my undergraduate degree is in theater. Oh. Uh-huh. And then uh, I would go on to go to graduate school where I studied uh, classical literature with an emphasis in Shakespeare, which is where my master's is in, you know, in classical theater. That explains a lot of the language you use around the office. We used to be coworkers. This and is true. I could understand half of what you were saying. Yes, because sometimes <laughs> I just throw in the these and the thous and people are like, what is he doing? <laughs> I think the big one I get I get a lot of uh, grief over is the harken back. That's oh. the one that... That yep. uh, our, our old, your old boss, my boss, <laughs> loves to say over yes. and over again. He's like, did you just say harken back? I was like, that's right. Yeah. Trying to bring it back. <laughs> and so where did acting take you? Well, um, you know, it's interesting. I never gave my parents much hope. At first, as a kid, I think I wanted to be a professional wrestler. Then I wanted to be a baseball player. And then I figured the most secure path would be an actor. Um, I don't know. I just loved doing it. I got involved in, um, in high school theater. And by the time I got in high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And when I found out that I could do this as a career, I said, why not? So I auditioned for a bunch of schools. I ended up going to a conservatory for two years in New York, ultimately finishing off my undergrad uh, at the University of Northern Colorado, the other UNC, as I like to say. And, uh, (laughs) And then I had this problem. I, uh, I was a 20-year-old, 21-year-old uh, with a receding hairline. So there wasn't a lot of roles for a 40-year-old character actor in a 21-year-old body. Oh, wow. So somebody said, hey, why don't you go to graduate school? It's a great way to kill time. It's a great way to get some extra training. And so I did. I went to, I auditioned for a bunch of programs. And I finally, I got into the University of Alabama, which is where you you know, think to yourself, I definitely need to go there to study Shakespeare. <laughs> for sure. Um, but it was a full ride and they, they paid for it. So I said, why not? I guess I'm going to go to Alabama for a couple of years. And it was great. You know, a couple year program, full full three years. And, and then I got, I graduated, came back to New York and I started working. Um, but as with every actor or creative person needs to know, sometimes the art itself doesn't feed you. Mm-hmm. So I had to do a lot of odd jobs. I mean, I did everything from working at a carnival to working at a restaurant. Oh, yeah. What? A lot of fun stuff. <laughs> I worked at a water gun racing game for an entire summer. That exists? Oh, yeah. Water gun racing? You've seen them. You know, like, psh, 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 you shoot and the oh, things go up. at the carnival. At the carnival. That's right. That was a lot of fun. Um, but anyway, so finally, the conservatory that I actually went to um, had approached me about coming to work for them. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, listen, can I still do stuff? And they said, absolutely. We love the fact that you'd be a working actor and working there. So I recruited for them for a number of years. I taught a lot of workshops on the road. Um, kind of honed my skills in being able to present workshops and seminars that I had really never done before. Yeah, you get the acting training and the voice and speech training and all that stuff. But the whole time I was still pursuing the career in theater. Did a lot of regional theater. Um, did some 
you know, TV film and, and just had a really good time doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until about 2013 uh, when I moved. So I moved to Hoboken in 2012. I lost the battle between New York and New Jersey when I met my lovely wife, Dana. So I moved to New Jersey when I got married and my wife was already on staff here. She, we never thought that I was going to be on staff at a church. I never thought in a million years I'd served at a church and I'd always, you know, um, been on different teams and whatnot. And so when I started coming to Hoboken, uh, Hoboken Grace, I uh, used my background. The lead pastor liked the fact that I had done a lot of theater. I also did a lot of improv, still do a lot of improv. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted I've me to... into those shows. Oh, sure. Very funny. So she can vouch for it. Yes. If he's not lying. Yeah. <laughs> and certifiably funny. So. Oh, thank you. So, uh, so he was like, I want you to be able to bring some of those principles into speaking team, teaching the other people, the communicators on how to... To utilize those things. And so early on in the life of, of um, the church, you know, our lead pastor, Chris, would have what we'd call speaking team. And it would probably be a group of about six of us that would come together. And we'd list, we'd, we'd, he'd go through the message with us. And for the most part, he'd ask me, all right, I need, I basically want you here for one thing. And that's jokes. So I started. <laughs> serving the jokes. Exactly. I started writing the jokes for for uh, the messages, that was pretty much my job for for about a year or so, and I jumped in on other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until about July of 2013 that uh, that Chris had taken me out for lunch and said, "Hey, have you ever thought about being a pastor?" And I, at that point, I had I had never thought in a million years that I was going to be able to do that because mm-hmm. on paper everything was going well, right? As an actor, you're you're working, and then when you're not working, you're still I was still working at the conservatory. I was still doing workshops. I was still getting an income. I was still getting medical insurance. Like I, on paper, everything looked good. Yeah. And then finally, um, I was asked to prepare a message. So I slowly started to kind of speak every once in a while when Chris would go out of town. And so he asked me to prepare a message on good plans versus God plans. And uh, it was just kind of a perfect example of the way God was ultimately saying, you know what, Anthony, you've got a good plan for your life. It's a great plan, but is it the plan I have for you? And so notice I said in, he, uh, he asked me about July of 2013. <laughs> I didn't start until January of 2014. So I had a lot of doubts and trying to figure out if this is ultimately what he wanted me to do. Uh, so I started full time January 2014 here at the church. The, the other fun thing is that I still get to do my improv and believe it or not, I still have my agents and they send me out on commercial auditions. And in fact, my wife jokes that some of the best gigs I've gotten have been while I've been employed at the church because maybe they can't, you know, smell the desperation when I walk in the audition room or anything anymore. Um, But it's been cool. So that's the Reader's Digest version of uh, (laughs) how I got to where I am today. Very cool. And now I'd like to just pick kind of your brain at each step of the way, kind of what you were thinking, what is it like, what did you learn? So when you're first starting out as an actor, what were some things you learned about the whole field that you didn't expect at first? Well, you know, the, the I think, you know, there's there's the craft of acting, right? Everybody wants, you, you go to an acting school to learn how to act, hopefully, right? And and if you have talent, you'll get into a program that's of any note and, and you'll become a better actor, 
right? So you would hope that any trade, you go to medical school, you become a medical, better doctor, right? Mm-hmm. You, you go to a language school and you would hope that you become more fluent in that language, right? So there's the art and the craft of it. But the other side of it is the business side of things. And I didn't realize how much of a business person you really need to be on top of being a creative person, which isn't always the best match. Mm-hmm. You know, some creative people are insanely talented and they're genius at their craft, but they understand zero part of that whole networking and, and the business side of things. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I really had to kind of left brain, right brain it a lot in terms yeah. of, okay, well, how do I become a better actor? But then also, how do I market myself and become a business person? I remember early on, one of my mentors used to say, you know, you are Anthony Reimer Incorporated. So how do you, as CEO of Anthony Reimer Incorporated, how are you going to sell your product, right? And he said, and you're not the product. You're, you're the business. But everything that you do are your products. So can you sing? Can you dance? Can you act? Are you funny? Are you, you know, all of those things, your craft becomes what you sell, right? And then you become kind of the CEO and, and manager and, uh, of, of your company. And so there was a lot of learning the business of the business. And unfortunately, there are a lot of programs out there that prepare you maybe the craft, but they don't necessarily prepare you for the business side of things. So it almost became like there was this little underlying submission of mine where I was always trying to like, you know, because recruiting and, and, and doing that for the program that I was at, they were great at teaching you the business of the business, but there were so many people that would go to these four year undergraduate theater programs and they would come out knowing nothing about the business. Um, and it just, it would irk me a little bit that you spent four years of basically doing an extension of high school theater, yeah. right? And then get out to the real world and you have no idea. Yeah. Kind of left stumbling on your own. Exactly. Thing. So talking about thinking of yourself as a brand, what was the driving force behind your brand and how has that changed over the years? Well, you know, you, this business has a really good job of telling you where you're, where you're going to be. Right. Um, I know this is a podcast, but if you go to see my pictures or the website, right, I mean, you'll notice that I'm not Brad Pitt, that I'm, uh, that I'm what? what I know <laughs> crazy. Uh, I'm a little bit more George Costanza, right? Oh, I'm a little yeah. bit more, uh, you know, um, a little bit more Kevin James, a King of Queens kind of a thing. And so it's, it's embracing that, you know, some people call it typecasting, but I, I don't, I don't. I don't necessarily like that phrase because there's so much to a quote unquote type, but the the sooner you realize really what you can bring to the table, the better it's going to be in the long term, right? If I was walking into an audition for you know uh, leading you know Hallmark Channel good looking dude or whatever, you know it probably wouldn't behoove me to look for those type of auditions. I'm more of like the best friend at the inn in the Hallmark Channel. Like, dude, you're crazy for not asking her out or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I just embraced it, right? I, I, it, For me, it wasn't a limitation because early on I said, all right, you need funny, you need character actor, you need, um, you know, and, and you, you develop different skills, right? I mean, with, with a degree that focused on classical training and Shakespeare, I mean, that's a whole other marketable trait. Not everybody can understand, let alone act Shakespeare. Um, 
musical theater. I'm by, I'm by no means a Pavarotti, but I can match pitch and carry a tune. And sometimes it's all that's needed for the musical theater world, right? And so every little thing that you can do, you started to make yourself more and more appealing. So most of my characters were, you know, the funny guys, the, the best friends, the lovable idiots sometimes. <laughs> um, but I, I learned to embrace it. And you know what, 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 what that allowed me to do is there were theater companies that would hire me over and over again once, you know, really the key of that is, is that you're just not a jerk to work with. Mm-hmm. And if people enjoy working with you, that's when other doors opened for me. I remember I worked with this, um, this Shakespeare theater company for probably like four or five shows and the artistic director, you know, and I was always playing the funny guy. I was, you know, the grave digger and Hamlet and, you know, sidekicks and funny people, Dogberry and much ado and all that. (laughs) And finally it came the opportunity. He was going to be doing Richard the third. And he said, you know, and I really like for you to go out for Richard, um, just because he'd seen my work and realized that I could, uh, you know, handle, a role of that. I didn't end up getting it, but just the fact that eventually the directors start to look at you in a different light. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the whole group, you know, you, you initially embrace kind of what God's given you and then allow that to open the doors that's needed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it changes for your benefit. I remember um, I went on this audition. There was this TV show called Taxi Brooklyn. It doesn't even exist anymore, <laughs> but one season on NBC, I'll take it. Um, they were looking for this one character who was kind of like a, a bumbling bad guy. He was getting arrested and all that stuff. Um, didn't get that, but I got called back for another character. And interestingly enough, the character as it was written initially was for like good looking, you know, that kind of stuff. And so my agent, when she called me back, she said, so you're getting a call back for, for this assistant district attorney role, um, but they're doing it a little bit different. They're, they're going in another direction. So I got, I ended up getting that role. Um, and it, you know, it went from like, you know, like, uh, this kind of, you know, it's supposed to be like this, almost like this, this, this good looking kind of maybe sub romantic character to more of this kind of like charactery, you know, hardcore Brooklyn lawyer type of a character, which, you know, it's, it, you never know. Which you brought to the table. Which I brought to the table. Exactly. <laughs> we're able to do. So how has the skills from acting and that whole world transferred or helped you in this next phase of your career yeah it's interesting i I, some people ask like well you know did you feel like you wasted all that time and and really for me the the business of acting teaches you so many things i think one of the most incredible things that 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 you take for granted when you learn the craft of acting is that it's an incredible tool to be able to almost learn and develop empathy because a lot of the time when you're crafting uh, and learning to be a better actor you're really putting yourself in a lot of people's shoes you know and you're asking that question if i'm playing this role what was their life like what was their life like what was their life like kind of naturally in nature we don't do that right we don't do that a lot as people Mm-hmm. you the, don't just sit down and think about a person and right. even if somebody ticks you off right yeah. <laughs> even if somebody makes you mad the, the you're not driving away going hmm i wonder what i can look through from their perspective you know <laughs> you're like i just want to punch them in the eye right yeah. so i think initially i i never thought about it that way but it really kind of brought to my attention like yeah you kind of learn to see the world through other people's eyes so that's huge and when you're administering right mm-hmm. so you can kind of identify where people were coming from Two, I think the craft practical training aspect of voice and speech and um, 
understanding orchestration, understanding, um, you know, emotion, understanding ups and downs, the, the flows. I mean, it, it's kind of funny. Our lead pastor does, when he prepares sermons, he's very bullet pointy and he has like maybe two or three pages. I've always written mine out. Mine's like 13 pages long. It's word for word. Doesn't mean I memorize it word for word, mm -hmm. but for me, there's almost like, it's almost in a way it's like a script, right? Yeah. Having that there in front of me, knowing where I need to go. So mm -hmm. I was just going to ask, how do you prepare your presentations? Kind of, are there different points you're trying to hit, different uh, messages you're trying to convey and kind of what are you looking for in what you're teaching? Well, if you think about, you know, if you try to find the, the, almost the, 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 the similarities between a Sunday message and let's say a good, um, a good engaging story, right? Film, television, theater, right? What's going to keep, what's going to keep a person, um, intrigued what's going to keep them awake i mean sometimes you know you you just want to make sure they're not going to fall asleep during your 30 minute message or whatever mm -hmm. so what are the things that we identify with stories stories are huge chris used to give me a hard time because that used to be always my feedback and every time he gave me his messages i'd be like what's the story where are you going to find a story because stories we can relate to and humor right i'm a huge fan of adding humor into everything right because if you can with humor you can diffuse a tense situation with humor you can i mean you can you can do so much. You can also make it memorable, right? Like we, we tend to remember the funniest moments of movies. We tend to remember the funniest jokes, um, the things that make us laugh. When we, even when we reminisce about family memories and, and, and family, you know, and past, we remember the funny things, right? Mm -hmm. Even if the things weren't funny in the moment, we can look back and laugh, they become memorable. Yeah. So knowing that as a pastor, when you're delivering a sermon, you want this to stick with people. Right. The, whatever the truth is, whatever the, the thing to internalize. And so you say, OK, what are the things that stick with people? Stories, humor. And then obviously there's a practical takeaway from it. Right. And I'm sure if you think about it from a copywriter perspective or something, you know, you want to have that phrase. You want to have that something yeah, that helps that call people to action, call to action that people can remember. Mm -hmm. Right. And so and making it memorable, just like any good story. You know, there's, there's stories over and over and over again. And sometimes it's a challenge. We were laughing about it the other day because, you know, Christmas and Easter comes every single year. <laughs> How do you spin the same story that's been told 2000 years in a new light? Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's a challenge. It's fun. It's almost like setting Shakespeare in a different time period, you know? Yeah. <laughs> nice. so. That's a good way to put it. What are you doing now? Because I know you're doing a lot to train as a pastor, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm in seminary, right? Finishing that off, I should have, I literally have two classes left. But that, that, again, I think that, I think that is very craft development, right? That that is, that is developing your opportunity to be able to, that would be almost like the acting training in a way, right? You're developing your craft so you can have those conversations with people, and, you know, um, but also I'm a big, I'm still a big fan of, of watching and learning. Right. And so I love watching and listening to podcasts of different, you know, different pastors given messages. Right. I love watching. So there's some really good master communicators out there that are that are pastors now. Uh, Andy Stanley, uh, Tim Lucas, um, uh, Francis Chan, uh, Craig Groeschel. 
I mean, these are people that I love to watch and, and learn and study from, right? That are they're doing some really cool stuff when it comes to communicating, right? Because ultimately, as a pastor, if you're if you're you know when you're not when you're not actually pastoring somebody or in those relationships with people, you're you're a communicator and you're developing leaders and you're developing people and you're 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 equipping people for the ministry and 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 a lot of that has to do with communication. Right. And so developing those skills, um, constantly reading, constantly trying to um, uh, develop those. And then, you know, I, I, I still have my guilty pleasure of doing improv. Right. I, I really firmly believe that that is a huge um, part of development, thinking on your toes, keeping you quick, um, finding correlations. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I love about improv is that it's 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 instantaneous, but there is a lot of craft to it. And the more that you do it the more I think you can just kind of sharpen yourself a little bit. It's like memory, right? You, mm-hmm. The more you do it, the sharper you're going to be at it. And it's a great skill for when the lights flicker in the auditorium right. or something right. unexpected. You need to make a laugh. It's Yeah. Keep things moving along. Well, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's helped so many. Um, one of the other things I used to do and, and still do every once in a while when they call me is, is team building and, and through improv. We used to get hired with some of the companies that I used to work with by... I mean, I used to do team building stuff for Kellogg and Apple and JetBlue and and we would come in and we would do essentially improv training for some of these larger companies because there's so much value in um, in improvisation, right? Yes and is being the, the core of being an improviser, right? And who doesn't love to something that's agreeable and building upon something and saying, okay, yes, let's, let's take that as suggestion and, and maybe build upon it or, you know, uh, supporting one another when you're up there. I mean, what a great team building exercise, realizing that you're going to have to go with the flow sometimes. What happens when, you know, when, when something goes wrong or your, your technology doesn't work or something. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, it's just, there's this incredible opportunity. Listening, right? Listening is a huge part of, of, uh, of improv and, and, and being able to tell stories. And I, I, I firmly believe that I don't care what medium you're in, whether you're CEO of a Fortune 500 company or behind the cash register at, you know, at your local, you know, 7-Eleven, whatever it is that you're doing, you can benefit from taking an improv course. Improv is so intimidating, though. It is. And I think the, 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 the biggest, the biggest problem that, the, 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 I think maybe it's not a problem. It's more of a uh, prohibition in a way that people get a little nervous about improv is that they think they have to be funny, right? Improvisation, most people funny think... Funny or not. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> people think they have to be, you know, whose line is it anyway, yeah. right? And well, I mean, some people don't know that they film like three hours of whose line is it anyway to get a good 30-minute episode. I didn't know, I know that. Just, just, just rain yeah. on everybody's parade. They are brilliant. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Colin and, and all of them are fantastic. But but that's not the only thing about improv. There's short form improv. There's long form improv. I mean, long form improv isn't even about games and quick. Th- it's about weaving a story. And some of the most beautiful theater I've ever seen has been long form improvisation. That wasn't funny at all. It's about internalizing the principles of improvisation and using that in your work. I think people think they have to get on stage and be funny. Improvisation is really about, okay, thinking on your feet, problem solving, making connections, and again, listening, agreeing, 
I mean, if everybody took the principles of improvisation and brought it into the workplace, I think you'd see a lot of more collaboration among teams. Mm -hmm. Which sounds a lot like your day-to-day -day here in the office. So could you tell us kind of a peek under the hood of what it is like to be a pastor, what a typical week might look like for it's, you? Yeah, absolutely. It's very funny. People, Some people are like, so what do you, what do, you do during the week? <laughs> Like, right. what do you, you mean? only work on like, Sundays. You only work on Sundays, right? Right. Um, you know, being a pastor, being working in ministry is is there's so multi, it's so multifaceted, right? I mean, even in my particular role, I'm not the only pastor. There's a lead pastor. Um, as a care pastor, I oversee a lot of our care pastoral care ministries. So, um, you know, care, grief, support, funerals, weddings, counseling referrals, um, hospital visits. You know. Um, and, and those are a lot of those are sometimes unplanned, right? You don't necessarily plan a hospital visit, and mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, you don't necessarily plan a death, and, and and so there's a lot of equipping people to do the work of ministry, right? Getting people, you know, developing teams, recruiting teams, so that you can do it. Because here's the thing: as with any organization, if it's just you, you're limited, right? But if you can equip more people to do the work, then you can reach more people. Right. And so a lot of it's about building teams. I oversee um, a number of teams. We, we oversee the care team, the prayer team, um, the uh, next steps team, which are in charge of like the congregation taking next steps, um, baptism classes, those kind of a thing. Starting point, which is our new believers class. And so um, and then, you know, other, there's always a clause, I think, in most ministry roles, other duties as assigned. So there's always many hats that we wear. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there's there's meetings, right? As with any job, right? You got you got your meetings with your team. You got your meetings with the other staff to be able to, you know, strategically put together where you're going to go, right? Um, the church is, is, a, is, an, is an organism. It's not necessarily an organization, but there is some organizational aspects to it, right? Um, and, and meetings, one-on-ones, right? People talking to, you know, for pastoral care, for, for, for guidance, suggestions, um, uh, and, and then a lot of, uh, you know, their day-to-day operations as well, right? Responding to prayer requests, praying with people, um, and really, you know, also trying to make an impact on the city, right? The church is really meant to be a positive influence, a positive reflection to who God is in our lives, and so we try to do that in every way possible and so there's just sometimes i mean you used to work here there's definitely an all hands on deck yes aspect to it and mm -hmm. sometimes it can be downright exhausting <laughs> but fulfilling also in the process yeah which i wanted to say i was always so curious like what is it like behind the curtain kind of you know of like what it's like working in a church and i got that experience and i just want to say take care of whoever is working at your church because it's spiritually, emotionally, sometimes physically, just demanding on you as a person because you're kind of always working 24-7, right? Like there's not always a distinction of, especially as a care pastor, when you answer a phone call in need and when you don't. You right. always or when somebody that. goes in the hospital. I mean, it's happened where you, you know, where we've been at home getting ready for bed and, and we found out somebody's gone into the hospital and we want to just make sure that they're okay and if nobody else from the care team or the pastoral care team can make it sometimes you have to go and, mm -hmm. and be there to pray with them and make sure they're okay yeah and like you were saying such an important part and why i loved it here um is the 
outward focus too of it doesn't stay within our church the love flows throughout the whole city and that's such an important part of the mission of personal lives in the church and it's really cool to be able to talk to you about all the other stuff that's kind of led you here too led you where you are today that's right so looking back kind of what are what are some main themes you feel have come to life in your own story well i mean you know i think i think trial and error is such a great is such a great response to that like you 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 can go in truthfully you can go into any profession but especially you know going into the performing arts you don't really know you don't really know you know you doubt yourself you, people tell you you have talent but you know early on it's like you know the people that go to your high school shows and you know your parents um <laughs> so sometimes you look for that validation sometimes you look for that but but at the end of the day it's not about that validation it's it's ultimately about you know all right if if you've got a dream on your heart that, that you believe God put there, you know, there, then, then we're going to, he's going to equip you to be able to do that. But there's a lot of nerves and there's a lot of scared to becoming, to be able to pursue that. And it looks different for different people, right? Like I have friends that started out as an actors that are now agents that are now designers that are now, um, music directors that are now uh, voice teachers that are now professors right i mean it, it one of my one of my acting teachers told me early on that there's a place in this business for everybody doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the place that you think you're going to start at one of my dearest friends who is a she's a wonderful actress believe it or not she now works for my agency <laughs> as another agent so in essence she's also one of my agents you know it's so kind of funny to think that this this actress that i worked with and went to college with um, is now in that is that kind of role mm-hmm. so to me it's it's being open to the paths that may be taking you which I think is a huge reason I'm in ministry right because I could have said no I'm good I'm doing what I'm you know I'm making money I've got health insurance I'm, I'm making these great things um, but at the end of the day it's really trusting okay like if this is ultimately where God's leading you. He does a really good job of like forcing you through doors if you're not going to do it. But he also does a really nice job of like keeping you at a place that he wants you to be in. So it's mm-hmm. just a lot of trial and error and trust. Very cool. Obviously, you're a great storyteller. Oh, thank you. And uh, it's like you do it professionally <laughs> or, time something. or something. <laughs> but like any particulars of specific things people need to know when they're first starting out. Like if you're talking to a middle or high schooler today, mm-hmm. what should they focus on for the next five to 10 years to really set themselves up for success? In performing arts, I mean, I think, you know, one, you have to be willing to do the work. I mean, I used to say there are three types of people in the business, in the performing arts business. Number one, there were the famous by Fridays, right? I used to call them the famous by Fridays. They were the people that would do anything to just be famous by Friday. And they're the ones that don't have a long career in this business. The second one were what you used to call the expiration dates. They're the ones that usually put an expiration date on their dream. They're like, I'm going to try this for five years. I'm going to try this for four years. But what if you're supposed to make it in six? What if you're supposed to make it in seven? Right. And then this was back when uh, when Hunger Games was really popular. I used to call the third group the careers. Right. These are the ones that were in it. They were in it for the long haul. They realized that they needed to get better. 
They needed to constantly work on their craft in order to get better. You have to continue to work on your craft, right? You're not going to want to go to a medical doctor who's, who last read something about the medical field in 1980. Like things have changed, right? Um, and so don't be afraid to put in the work. Work begets work, right? The more work you do, the more work you're going to get. And last but not least, don't be a jerk. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. I got so many jobs rehired over and over again just because I enjoyed working with the people and, and people thought I was at least, you know, tolerable to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing how far that's going to go in the business to say, listen, work ethic. If, you're, if you've got a solid work ethic, you're showing up on time, you're doing what's being asked of you, and you're not a jerk in the process, that can go super far in this business because here's the truth about this business. It's not huge. And a lot of people know everybody. And if one person says you're a jerk, that gets a time to, that, that becomes like the game of telephone. Mm-hmm. Right? And don't lie. Don't lie on your resume. Don't lie to people. It'll come up back and bite you in the butt. So there's two questions I ask at the end of every podcast. First question, how would you define creativity? Ooh, how would you define creativity? You know, I was actually talking to somebody on the phone we were having a one-on-one prior to this conversation that you and I are having. And she had kind of put her creativity to the side because she thought that that's not what God wanted her to do in her life. And I said, well, what is it like when you get to create, when you get to write? She said, I feel alive. And I said, well, then you can't deny that this is something that's been given to you. you know." And I told her, I said, listen, the, the stark reality is, is that if you've been given a gift, whether it's, you know, talent in, in creating uh, art or being a wordsmith or, or performing or using, if, if you're not using that gift, in essence, you're not, you're not doing what God wants you to do, as crazy as that may think. Mm-hmm. And so for me, creativity at its core is the opportunity to just say yes to the things that may be possible that may not just be in front of you and creating the creating the possible out of nothing and just going down that line. I don't know if that it's a, probably Beautiful. probably a Disney thing that I just <laughs> stole somewhere. But, you know. We um, both love Disney, so there's yeah. a good there's there, there, it's okay there. We really relate to the Disney uh, sure anthems. So. Second question: What would you like to pass on to the next generation? Oof. You know, I, it sounds so cliche, but but I think you know, don't be afraid to 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 use your talents to actually make a difference. You know, I mean. Thinking that art, visual, or performance, or creative, or words, like, thinking that that can't actually do something is insane, right? I mean, look at look at stories that we still tell to this day. One of my favorite stories, my wife thinks I'm crazy, my favorite thing is, one of my favorite stories during this time of year is A Christmas Carol. I love watching adaptations of it. I love hearing it over and over again because it's such a beautiful story of redemption it's such a beautiful story of like of the season and i think to myself like what if dickens hadn't sat down to write it what if dickens had thought no i need to make money i need to i need to who who knows if this is going to sell who knows if this is going to work like it's a wonderful example of somebody saying you know what 
if you have a dream, if something's been put there, again, it might sound Disney, but you know, it, it, it may just be something that God's going to use to change someone's perspective. And if it's even if it's changing one person's perspective, it could ultimately change, you know, the perspective of many. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Is there when anything? you wish, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> copyright. Okay, yeah. yeah, sorry, just kidding. When you wish upon a plant. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That's everything I got. Wahoo! Thank you for your story. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah. <laughs> now we're wrapping up. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>